0: The man in whose honor our college and seminary are named burned like a fierce light in the spiritual darkness of early 16th century England. William Tyndale was born to middle-class parents who provided him with a good education, saw that he went to Oxford where he graduated at the age of 18, 18, that's right, in those days, people usually started university at 15, and the BA only took three years. <clears throat> Full adulthood came much sooner back then than it does today. William Tyndale was a language major, but he didn't just master two or three languages like most language majors today. No, he became fluent in seven Greek, Latin, Hebrew, German, Spanish, and French, as well as English, of course. As we know from his translation of the New Testament, his English writing style was superb. After getting his B.A., he went on to study theology, but was dismayed to find that the curriculum did not include any reading of Scripture, So he formed a secret group with some of his fellow students to read the Bible behind closed doors. It was a very risky thing to do. The great Dutch humanist scholar Erasmus of Rotterdam had recently published the New Testament in Greek and Tyndale with his consummate skill in ancient languages devoured it and translated it orally for his fellow students. Soon he began a written translation of the Greek New Testament into English and went around preaching from it. This displeased the authorities who accused him of heresy. One person who was friendly to Tyndale warned him that if he continued to preach the scriptures, quote, it will cost you your life. To another person who was unfriendly, Tyndale replied that he wasn't afraid of the Pope or any of the people who were against what he was doing and added, If God spare my life, before many years are past, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know more of Scripture than thou dost. By this time, the atmosphere was becoming hostile in England. It's the early 1520s. So Tyndale decided to move to Germany, hoping to complete his translation in peace. He was fortunate that there were several London merchants, wealthy businessmen if you like, who had already been attracted to the teachings of the continental reformer Martin Luther, and they paid for his trip as well as financing his work so that he didn't have to worry about money. But he wasn't out of trouble and never really would be The printer who was bringing out his translation as soon as it came off his pen had his shop raided even before he had finished printing the whole of Matthew's Gospel. So Tyndale had to pick up and flee to another German city where the authorities were sympathetic to Lutheranism. That city has the amusing name of Worms. There in 1526, the first complete New Testament in English was published. From worms, it was smuggled into England and Scotland, tucked inside bales of cloth. People were hungry to read the scriptures in their own language, and it became an immediate bestseller to the alarm of the religious authorities who referred to, quote, that pestiferous and most pernicious poison dispersed throughout London in great number. That's right. That pestiferous poison was the New Testament. So great was the demand, however, that a pirated version was produced in Antwerp. That's in modern day Belgium. Desperately, the authorities rounded up as many copies of Tyndale's New Testament as they could lay their hands on and staged public burnings of them. But no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't stamp it out. Tyndale's little book has been called a treasure of English culture. And the reason it is so highly regarded is that it very strongly influenced the so-called King James or authorized version of the Bible that came out in 1611 and has had a direct influence on almost every translation since. In fact, scholars tell us that 83%, which is five-sixths of the King James Version of the New Testament, comes directly from Tyndale's translation. It's not much of an exaggeration to say that Tyndale is the translator of the New Testament. He was much more than a translator, however. He was a tireless Protestant crusader. From his base in Antwerp, he wrote a book entitled The Parable of the Wicked Mammon. It was quickly banned as heretical. In it, Tyndale focuses on Jesus' parable in chapter 16 of Luke's Gospel, the passage we've just heard. And I find this one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. Why does Jesus seem to approve of the unrighteous or dishonest steward? Some commentators have suggested that the amount by which he reduced to what the debtors owed represented the interest on their debt plus the steward's commission. The taking of interest on loans was condemned in the Old Testament. So maybe the master was just giving up what he had no legal right to in the first place. On top of that, the steward was also giving up what would normally have been his. The master commends the steward's shrewdness, but he does not give him back his job. The larger meaning that Tyndale derives from the parable is that Though good works are important, they only come naturally from true faith as fruit comes from the tree. Emphasis on works leads only to superstition. Even if you had, and I'm quoting directly from Tyndale, quote, a thousand holy candles, a hundred tons of holy water, a ship full of pardons, a cloth sack full of friars' coats and all the ceremonies in the world and all the good works, deservings, and merits of all men in the world, be they or were they never so holy, they will not save you. Only faith will. And, quote, seeing that we are justified through faith, we are at peace with God. So how does this relate to verse nine of today's reading, quote, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Here's what Tyndale says, and I find this fascinating. Make you friends of the unrighteous mammon, that is, show your faith openly and what ye are within in the heart, with outward giving, And bestowing your goods on the poor. That's how you're supposed to use unrighteous mammon. Give it away to the poor. That ye may obtain friends. That is, that the poor on whom thou hast showed mercy may at the day of judgment, because as Jesus pointed out, the poor are blessed. At the day of judgment, they may testify and witness of thy good works, that thy faith and what thou wast within thy heart before God may there appear by thy fruits openly to all men. For outward works can never please God, nor make friend, except they spring of faith. And I think a, a perfect example of this from the gospel again was that rich but very dishonest fellow, Zacchaeus, who when Jesus came to dine at his place, made a grand public announcement that he had just given half of all his ill-gotten gains to the poor. Jesus responded, today salvation has come to this house. So why does Christ praise the unrighteous steward? Not because of his unrighteousness, but because of his Wisdom or shrewdness. And Tyndale has another interesting reflection. As if I would provoke another to pray or study, say, the thieves watch all night to rob and steal. Why canst not thou watch to pray and to study? Here praise not I the thief and murderer for their evil doing, but for their wisdom that they so wisely and diligently wait on their unrighteousness. Not long after came Tyndale's most famous book, The Obedience of a Christian Man. He wrote it to refute those who were accusing him and other reformers of encouraging sedition and teaching treason. No, said Tyndale, the guiding principles of the reformers are the supreme authority of scripture in the church and the supreme authority of the king in the state. He was boiling with rage over the corruptions of the church in his time, over how the monks and friars exploited the common people and how the church from the Pope down was guilty of quote selling for money what God in Christ promiseth freely like his other books this one was immediately banned yet we are told that Anne Boleyn showed a copy of it To Henry VIII, who was delighted with it and stated, this is a book for me and all kings to read. The next thing the indefatigable Tyndale did, he wasn't even 40 yet, was translate the first five books of the Old Testament from Genesis to Deuteronomy out of Hebrew and into English. He gave us many memorable phrases like, let there be light and there was light. But he was becoming so notorious a reformer that he had to keep constantly on the move. On his way by sea to Hamburg, with all his worldly possessions in tow, he was shipwrecked and lost everything except his life. All his work on the Old Testament went to the bottom of the sea, and he had to start again from scratch. Soon, he found himself the target of one of the most powerful men. In England, the Lord Chancellor, Sir Thomas More, who published a highly intemperate six volume attack on heresy, mainly directed at Tyndale, whom he vilified as a heretic worse than Luther. The irony is that both these men would soon go to their deaths, each for his courageous and unshakable religious beliefs. Moore for his orthodox Catholicism, Tyndale for his uncompromising Protestantism. Uncowed by Moore's withering attacks on him, Tyndale did not let up in his attacks on the Pope, whom he compared to a vine of ivy strangling the nation's tree. Also, his principled opposition to King Henry's divorce from Catherine of Aragon meant that his own king turned against him. Living in poverty and constant danger, he was safe nowhere. But his New Testament continued to be reprinted and smuggled into England, a sure indication that many people were thirsty for the scriptures in a language they could understand. Tyndale paid a high price for bringing the scriptures to the English people in their own language. To a friend, he wrote of his poverty, exile, absence from friends, hunger, thirst, cold, and, quote, the great danger wherewith I am everywhere encompassed. He endured all these things, he said, because he, quote, hoped with my labours to do honour to God. In the spring of 1535, an unprincipled young Englishman who had gambled away all his money and was desperate for cash went to the imperial authorities in Antwerp offering to lead them to where Tyndale was in hiding. So he was arrested. All his books and papers confiscated and he was thrown in prison where he languished for 16 months. English merchants in Antwerp did their best to get him released. And in London, no less a person than Thomas Cromwell, Henry VIII's chief minister, tried to intervene on his behalf, but all to no avail. In prison, Tyndale was subjected to a long cross-examination by one of Europe's leading heresy hunters. Then he was tried by 17 commissioners He conducted his own defense, relying not on legal arguments, but solely on Scripture in rebutting the charge of heresy. His fundamental position was that, quote, faith alone justifies before God. And this was the, quote, the key to the understanding of Scripture as salvation. During his long trial, he suffered from a perpetual cold and cough. He asked to have back some of the warm clothing that had been taken from him. Quote, and I ask to be allowed to have a lamp in the evening. It is indeed wearisome sitting alone in the dark. He urgently asked also to be permitted to have, quote, the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary that I may pass the time in that study. We don't know if these requests were met. We do know that During his time in prison, he converted his prison keeper, the prison keeper's daughter, and other members of his household. Tireless Tyndale. His chief prosecutor also wrote that Tyndale was a, quote, learned, godly, and good man. But the cold machinery of the law ground on. In August 1536, he was condemned as a heretic. Two months later, a great assembly was summoned and a stake, brushwood, and logs were prepared. One observer wrote of his, quote, patient suffering as he was brought to the stake. Tyndale was not, however, burnt alive. First, they strangled him and then burnt his lifeless body. Though the man was destroyed, his influence could not be. In fact, it went on growing and growing. Within months of his death, a complete English Bible, two-thirds of it, Tyndale's work, was licensed by the king and sold throughout Britain. A new edition was brought out three years later, the so-called Great Bible, with a copy being placed in every one of the 10,000 churches in England. Thus, Tyndale's work was widely read and heard. And this went on for the rest of the century until the translators of the King James Version, which came out in 1611, went back again to Tyndale and used his translation as the foundation of their own. Without question, Tyndale was in the vanguard of the English Reformation. His books, especially The Wicked Mammon and The Obedience of a Christian Man, And his writings on Paul's letters to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, expressed the widespread revulsion at the corruptions and superstitions of the church as it was in his day. His indictment of the late medieval Catholic church was derived directly from scripture, which of course he had read in the original Hebrew and Greek. Tyndale's great power stemmed directly from his wholehearted embrace of Jesus Christ and his total commitment to follow him as Lord and Savior. I think uh, he would have echoed the words of of today's first song, I give my life uh, to thee. This meant, of course, taking up his cross like Jesus, undergoing like Jesus poverty, insecurity, persecution, and ultimately death. He did all this with his eyes open He knew from the beginning the danger he was courting by defying the authorities, preaching against their betrayal of Christ, and translating the scriptures into the language of the people. With his matchless linguistic skills, he could easily have found a cushy job at one of the universities and passed a quiet life, honored by his colleagues and undisturbed by any danger. That he did not do so is what makes him one of the decisive figures of the last half millennium. His tremendous courage, his deep love of Jesus burn with the same bright flame today as they did almost 500 years ago. And they can still inspire those of us who are open to that inspiration to go and serve Jesus in like manner. Thank you.